Alright, welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM. New rule on 910 The Fan. On Fridays, we roll. Broadcasting live from River City Roll here in Scott's Edition. And one of the hosts of Who's Talking, who you can hear Mondays on 910 The Fan, Frank Maloney, just walked in. And Stubb, you're not going to believe what Frank did. He pulled up a newspaper and showed me a picture of Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey making out. I think that's what we should. That's what we should focus on. It's very important. <laughs> I just did a whole segment about how that's my sports tilt of the week is all these Swifties celebrating a Super Bowl when they just found out what a first down is. Do yes, Swifties, that's hilarious. Do Swifties read the newspaper? <laughs> I don't know if that's a target <laughs> no, audience. No. <laughs> no, their their heads are down, looking at their phones and their pictures of all their old boyfriends. <laughs> So Frank's joining us here to go around the ACC, and I just pulled up Joe Lenardi's latest bracketology. He's got four ACC schools making it into the NCAA tournament. How many schools do you think will end up representing the ACC? Don't listen to Joe Lenardi. Uh, (laughs) He's wrong last year. What was there, five last year? Yeah. And it was considered a down year. This this stuff of, like, bashing the ACC has got to stop, and – I am going to devote myself from here till the end of the tournament focusing on how many ACC teams keep winning. Um, I see Carolina, Duke, Virginia, Wake, Clemson, maybe Pitt. Pitt is coming on like a gang on fire. They're dangerous. And maybe NC State. I think Florida State is out of it. Um, what about Miami? I mean, you know, I it's think just so Mi- wild that they've lost three in a row now. This is a team that went to the Final Four last year. Miami Miami had a lot of turnover. and But they kept packing O'Meara, and I thought that was kind of enough. But I well, guess not. They, huh? w- apparently Wong was better than people gave him credit for. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just going to say this. Miami is 6-8 and eight right now, 15-10. and 10. That is not an NCAA tournament bid resume. So UNC's in right now. Obviously, they're number seven in the country. Duke is in. UVA is in. And according to Lenardi, Clemson is the fourth team. I believe Wake will make it in. So that's five teams. And then you're right. Pitt has a chance. And then you could have a bid stealer if Florida State, NC State, or you know maybe Syracuse or win the ACC tournament. Or Clemson. Yeah. People have got to give Clemson credit. <clears throat> Brad Brunell is a good coach. Um, he has paid his dues. His team's generally play good defense coming down the stretch. P.J. Hall and the the other, the forward, Shefflin. Yeah, well, P.J. Hall, it feels like he's the only one in the conference that can guard Baycott, and that's yes. how they were able to beat UNC. And, and, and Shefflin was taking the ball against the other forward that Carolina put out there and was taking it to the rack. I think Clemson is a, is a wild-card team and could cause a lot of trouble. Duke has kind of gotten hot as of late here. They've won three straight. Mm-hmm. They face off against Florida State on the road tomorrow. Big game. Big game for the Blue Devils. If Florida State loses that game, I think their their party's over. Oh, and for it, sure. It may already be over, but there it would definitely – people would start shoveling dirt, you know, into the hole. <laughs> and the Duke Blue Devils are led by center Kyle Filipowski. You know, I was kind of surprised he didn't go pro last year. He really shocked me with that, but he has improved a lot this season. Well, I think he he presents a real challenge because he's got the pick-and-pop shot from outside. Yep. Occasionally he'll drive, and occasionally he'll go to the basket and try to tip in a missed shot. What I I like, if you're looking at Duke objectively, and it's hard to do for all Wahoos (laughs) or anybody else that's not named uh, Blue Devil Central, is the fact that their guards – cause problems for everybody. 
Roach is a deadly assassin. Uh, McCain or McLean? McLean, yeah. Well, I think the X factor for Duke is Tyrese Proctor, who's only averaging 10 points a game, but he's their leading assist guy. But he he benefits from the two guys I just mentioned. Yeah. If you watch their games, he counterpunches. The minute teams overload one side of the court to guard Roach and McLean, all of a sudden Proctor is deadly. So you mentioned the Pitt Panthers here. They're winners of four straight, now moving to seven and six in the ACC. What, what do you think makes them so difficult? Well, <clears throat> having just seen them on Tuesday in person, uh, they present a lot of challenges. When, when they have the ball, they have three players that can drive to the hoop and get their shot off and draw fouls and make the shot. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the freshman guard, Lowe, is terrific. He, in my mind, he is the best newcomer this year. Um, I think you can make that case. Well, at the end of the first half against UVA, he hit a three that you could tell gave him confidence. And then the second half, he had like 12 or you know, 14 points. Well, he, he did that to Duke, and he's done it to other teams. Um, clearly, their X factor is Henson. Yeah. Henson is a bad man. He he wears <laughs> he you know he's six eight two forty and he wears long leather jackets and he has dark boots <laughs> and you're, you 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 want to make sure you're on his good side. Yeah, well he had that tough step back three from the corner Ooh, oh. that was the dagger against UVA and you know you're right. Yeah, I mean he can he can put up twenty five or thirty points. He can also have a game where yes. he disappears. He's just he, inconsistent. I sat next to their SID and I talked to him at length about Henson. Henson is the kind of player, he gets off the bus, he's shooting. Mm-hmm. When he's getting back on the bus after the game, he's still shooting. <laughs> um, the scary thing is, he can get shots. You can't stop him from getting shots. You just have to hope that you can distract him enough that he doesn't get confident. Against Virginia, he found his comfort zone, and whether it was you know, at the 45-degree angle or in the corner or the foul line extended, whatever, the guy is he's a handful. He can also drive to the basket and get you tough points when everybody else goes cold on you. That's why I think Pittsburgh is the dark horse this year going up to D.C. in the ACC tournament. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Got Frank Maloney with us here from Who's Talking that you can hear Mondays on 910 The Fan. He just mentioned it, the ACC tournament. It's going to be a ton of fun up in Washington, D.C. from Capital One Arena this year. I think uh, an X factor is Florida State. I wouldn't be shocked if Florida State got hot and won the ACC tournament. Uh, They've got a a few really good scores. Ram Nation knows their leading scorer. That's Jameer Watkins. Uh, But Baba Miller is the guy that I'm really impressed with for Florida State. Uh, six foot eleven from Mallorca, Spain. He he's like a seven foot skinny demon, but he can shoot the outside shot. He he's a guy that has gotten better throughout this season. The more playing time he gets, the better he improves. If Florida State drops any any games of any note between now and the tournament, that will not happen. Now <laughs> now, if Florida State gets hot here in this last two weeks. They could play their well their way into a situation, but they lost in Blacksburg, they lost at home against Virginia, and to me that's back to back losses. They're, yeah. they're, they're, the, the bloom is off the rose of this team. They had a bad start to the season, then they got hot, then they've lost it again. Yeah, Leonard Hamilton is very frustrated with this team. Let's be fair. 
I think the coach that's most frustrated with his team is Jim Laranega. Oh, when, yeah. When a coach goes in the middle of a timeout and sits at the other end of the bench <laughs> and doesn't want to talk to anybody, that's a sign. So Miami has lost three straight. Uh, you, you haven't mentioned the Hokies. What do you think their chances are of, of winning the whole thing in, in D.C.? The, the reason is they're hard to understand and read. Their big men are kind of quiet. Their guards are are, are are fighting for the basketball and um, tell me the give me the names of the Padula the, and Hunter Couture Padula. So I've seen them in person for years now. Couture is more predictable. Uh, Padula, you know, he's almost out of bounds and he's shooting. Right. <laughs> uh, he has no conscience, and the problem is he he is he can shoot them right out of a game, just like he can shoot them back into a game. And I think Mike Young at times. The head coach is very confused about what to do with them because when they get hot, he knows he needs to leave it alone. Well, I think, you know, I don't think the issue is the backcourt with the Hokies. I think you, you were onto something with the center. Lynn Kidd shows up, then Lynn Kidd disappears. Poteet shows up, then Poteet disappears. And, and the biggest and Rob, issue and Robbie is. Robbie Barron from Richmond. They, they need a third score. Could yes. it be Barron? Uh, I, I like Tyler Nickel. He's a good outside shooter, and he can score in transition. Right now, their third leading scorer is Lynn Kidd, but that's what the Hokies need is they need an, a third double digit score to go along with Pador, uh, or, Padula and Kator. Or. Or Robbie Barron and Kid can ding and dong. Yeah. And that'll work. But I haven't seen that chemistry. Have you? No, no, we haven't. And, uh, you know, look, this is a Virginia Tech team here that has a very important uh, next few games here. They're at UNC tomorrow. And then, of course, the, who come to, the Who's come to town on Monday night for that big-time matchup, Commonwealth Clash. I, I wish it was a neutral site. <laughs> the, 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 the of course you do. <laughs> what I, the, the the cheering and the the officiating is always fuzzy math when you watch. <laughs> you know when Virginia goes uh, to Bleaksburg and plays in Castle. <laughs> hey, that was funny. Come on, give it to me. <laughs> Stubb didn't think that was funny. Stubby knows. <laughs> oh man! All right, so we've got Frank Maloney hanging out with us here on nine ten. The fan. Uh, who's talking comes back on Monday. Yes, and we have Bobby Stokes. Doctor Stokes is going to join us for repeat appearance this uh, winter, and he always has great insights. We also have James Ireland, the former UVA great lacrosse player. Played goal back in the day and helped get the Cavaliers in the national championship game twice. Awesome. And we have current UVA assistant men's basketball coach Jason Williford coming up next. He'll join us on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. You're listening to AWOD broadcasting live from River City Roll in Scott's Edition. Happy Friday. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105-1 FM, Richmond's home for the Flying Squirrels, VCU Hoops, the Commanders, UVA, Virginia Tech, the Nats, the Caps, the Wizards, and more. And we are live and local here Monday through Friday from 12 to 3 p.m. Broadcasting live today from River City Roll in Scott's Edition. Got Frank Maloney from Who's Talking hanging out with us and joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, assistant coach for UVA men's basketball, Jason Williford. What's going on, coach? How's it going, guys? How you doing? Good, hey, Jason. Good to get you back on the show. How would you say this team has improved throughout the course of the season? Um, we've gotten better defensively, uh, <laughs> other than Pitt the other night. Um, <laughs> but I thought I thought our defense um, has started to to 
resemble what some other UVA defensive teams uh, have done uh, over the course of the, of the season. And obviously when we make threes and we're, we're shooting the ball well, um, that helps. Um, you know, McNeely, Jake Groves, Reese Beekman scoring the ball for us have been, been good. So I, I think that's what, what has happened, especially during that run uh, where we won eight straight. Uh, we were playing better defensively, and, and, you know, we were scoring the ball. Yeah, and Jason, you know, I've been impressed with Reese Beekman's ability to kind of change his role for this season. You know, Kia Clark was was forever the point guard of UVA. Now Beekman's been doing a lot of the point guard duties, six assists per game, 14 points. How have you been impressed by his ability to change the role? No, I, th- I mean, it's just natural uh, that he – he gets better each year. That's the evolution of a good player. Um, and, you know, we need him to be that. We needed him to, to step into that role. Um, and and I'm glad he's been able to do that, especially offensively. You know, the assist and the defense have always been there, but his ability to now, you know, score, get to the free throw line, make free throws, um, you know, that's just a plus for this group. UVA men's basketball assistant coach Jason Williford with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. Hey, Jason, this is Frank. I'm wondering, you know, in the development of Jordan Minor and Blake Buchanan and uh, Minor starting with Buchanan coming off the bench, that seems to be clicking pretty nicely. Um, I know you're heavily involved in that. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that development. Yeah, you know, it, you know, Early on, Jordan just it, it was a huge adjustment for him having played at Mary Mack in, in four years of playing zone. And if you guys know, Tony's always talking about being continuous, especially defensively. And so I, I think it was a huge adjustment for Jordan in regards to, you know, playing the way we like to play defensively. And so Blake got minutes early. He was very good against Florida. But Jordan's experience was ultimately um, going to take over in his physicality, and I think it's allowed uh, Blake to, um, you know, not not be uh, thrust into a role that he wasn't ready for. Um, and so Jordan um, has has anchored us. You know, he's a solid screener, very good defender, and then Blake can come in and give us that energy. Uh, in that hustle that that he brings as a first year guy, uh, with, with not having so much pressure on him early. I'd like to address that with you. To me, Blake Buchanan has is breathing now. He's catching the ball cleanly. He's finishing typically on the move, and he's putting it right in the square and putting it in the basket. And all the rest of his play, his defense, everything—it's like he's a different player. And I think it's because the, the the spotlight isn't on him at opening tip. Like, go ahead, be be the kid that starred in high school, right? Well, yeah, and 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 I think that was a whole lot early, um, and and you know we were still trying to find our way. But yes, he you know he can watch, he can see the the flow of the game, kind of understand what it, what's required of him when he gets in there, um, and it and it has it's. It's taken a lot of the pressure off of him, um, and that was the 
that's what we had thought initially um, when we recruited him. You know, we he wasn't necessarily going to have to come in and start. There were some big guys ahead of him. Obviously, circumstances change, um, but Jordan has allowed him um, the ability to to watch the game, be be less stressed, <laughs> um, and <laughs> Jordan's experience. You know that experience, that physicality. I mean, Jordan's played four years of college ball, so um, ultimately, um, it just was a matter of time before he got in in the lineup. You're listening to 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Jason Williford, assistant coach for UVA Hoops, with us here on the hotline. UVA, number 21 in the country, 19-6, and six, third in the ACC, but had the longest home winning, streak in the, home winning streak in the country. How have you guys kind of talked as a group in the locker room you know, about bouncing back from that defeat with a tough game tomorrow at noon? Yeah, we... <laughs> We've got to bounce back. I mean, these games are, are coming fast and furious. We, you know, we got Wake tomorrow. Uh, Monday we're at Virginia Tech. So yeah, um, you got to you got to take them one game at a time. Obviously, we would have loved to keep the streaks going, um, but I, I, you know, it's a very good pit team. We lost to um, four guys that can really score the ball, um, and and so you know we. Wake presents a different problem. We we got to put Pitt behind us, learn from that, lick our wounds, but be ready to to come back and and um, noon start tomorrow, early start. Um, we we got a very good Wake Forest team. Uh, you know they they've got guys that can put the ball in the bucket. Um, they got rim protection, uh, so it'll be a different type of challenge. Jason, sophomore. Isaac McNeely averaging 12.5 points per game, but shooting almost 50% from three, 47.3%. When a guy's shooting that good from three, how tough is it to design plays for him to get open looks when you know he's on everyone's scouting report? Yeah, you know, we're, we're going to continue to screen for him. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think as he gets older and his game matures, he'll he'll figure out that, all right, they're taking away the three. I've got to get to the basket, uh, maybe finish a couple pull-ups, couple floaters, get to the free-throw line, get fouled. You know, they're going to run them off the line. So um, constantly just working on those things, getting better in, in, at those areas, but also just keep shooting the three. When you're open, let it fly. Um, we've got to keep getting them shots, keep, keep screening for them. You know, uh, Jason, you uh you know, it's it's interesting looking at how this schedule is playing out right now. I mean, Virginia, uh, you know, had the eight-game win streak. Then they had the, the rough game at home on Tuesday against Pitt. Then they host Wake tomorrow, which is a, a huge game uh, in the standings and so forth. Then you've got to travel down to Blacksburg on Monday. That's a quick turnaround. Then the following Saturday, the Tar Heels come to Charlottesville. And it doesn't get any easier. Then you travel to Chestnut Hill to play BC. You go to Durham to play the Dukies. And then you're home to wrap up the season, Georgia Tech. There's a lot of opportunities on the schedule, too, yes, though. Yes, there's there's some chances to to grab some wins. But there's also some games who you know they're just going to be dogfights. I mean, you just named a ton of games uh, that that have given us problems, you know, yes. at Virginia Tech, <laughs> roll out records, you know, they're going to be ready for us. 
Um, we got to go in there. BC's been a headache playing up there. Yep. Obviously, at Duke's always hard. Then you get the Tar Heels. Um, man, Georgia Tech, young, talented team. You know, every night in the ACC is tough. I don't get the national narrative. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed in, in what folks are constantly saying about the league being down. I disagree. Yeah. I think you've got to be ready to play every night. Anyone can get you. Um, they're very good players and coaches. Um, going on the roads always tough. So we've got our work cut, cut out. Um, but but we've got to take them one game at a time, one practice at a time. I know it's coach talk, but it really is. It's it's learn from from both losses and wins. Move on um, and just put the best product you can on the floor each time. You know, what's exciting, though, Jason, is uh, the ACC now is front and center. Everybody's watching the ACC, and the proof is in the pudding. I think the conference has always stood tall at the end of the day, and this is no different this season. And I feel like the ACC will get at least six teams in, and they will do damage in the NCAA tournament, and Virginia's one of them, and Thank you for all that you've done for the Cavaliers. Well, listen, I appreciate that. And, and from your lips to God's ears, I hope that Virginia <laughs> gets in and, <laughs> and, we, and we move in advance. Yeah. Well, we always appreciate you taking the time to join the show. That's assistant men's basketball coach Jason Williford at UVA. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD on The Fan. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, new rule on 910 The Fan. On Fridays, we roll, broadcasting live from River City Roll in Scott's Edition. Don't call River City Roll just a bowling alley. It's one of Richmond's top entertainment spots, live music, Fridays and Saturdays. I'm always checking out this place for brunch as well. That's 10.30 to 3 p.m. on Sunday. Head to River City Roll today and tell them, Awad sent you. Joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, he's made it back from Vegas safely to host Grant and Danny. It's Grant Paulson. What's going on, Grant? Awad, you got me ready to go bowl, eat some brunch <laughs> right now. Let's Dude, go. what is? How is your bowling game? Oh, it's horrible. Oh. <laughs> I, I do love to bowl though. Yeah, I, I, so I'm my. I haven't done it in a long time. One time in college, like as a bit, we joined the league and just hung out and like <laughs> drank and did did that for like Thursdays or something. But uh, yeah, I'm terrible at it. I uh, I was a kept the gutters out for like way too long for too many years, you know. And <laughs> now I, I think if I bowled tonight, I would. What do you say? Shoot, roll. I would probably accumulate about like 83 pins. That would be my. Guess. Oh boy. You got to break 100, Grant. Michael Phillips was talking a lot of smack because he's from the middle of the country where all they do is bowl. And then we had a bowling challenge. It came down to the final frame. I believe I won by only three pins. It was it was electric. It was great radio. And so we're going to be doing a bowling challenge again. So, uh, But good to know we should have you on the list of people not to invite to a bowling challenge. <laughs> I won in. I could be like the preliminary warm-up match before you take uh, on the real difficult challenges the ominous matchups afterwards <laughs> like all the college football teams right that take on like a small school yeah. and beat I'll them be up your, and... like directional michigan or like florida 
you know, some other two words after it where you <laughs> open with me, you're favored by like 52 and a half, and you get ready for your week three matchup. Oh, I love it. All right, let's get to the commanders here. And uh, I want to start with this. You know, we were both at Radio Row in Vegas five straight days, and it was awesome. You know, we could talk for days about you two and, you know, the blackjack table. But did your interviews at Radio Row change your mind at all about Dan Quinn and Cliff Kingsbury? Not necessarily. I mean, look, all the conversations I've had since they hired Dan Quinn, by and large, are positive. I mean, certainly I, I bumped into some people, whether it was at Radio Row, on air, off air, whatever, that feel the same way I do, which is, you know, the, the results are the results, right? And, and it wasn't a particularly inspiring hire. But I don't think there's any, like, changing minds at this point. Like, my opinion is based on how his tenure in Atlanta went, right? So I know he's an exceptional human being by all accounts. I know he's a leader of men. We knew he was going to put a good staff together. I think he's exceeded expectations, specifically on defense in that regard. Uh, and I would say the same thing about Kingsbury, right? But the, the bottom line is that his offenses were not great in Arizona. His offenses have never really been great. The idea of him is really good. I'm not down on either hire as it pertains to saying like they're bad hires. I was whelmed. I felt okay. I feel pretty good. I'm, I'm intrigued by Cliff Kingsbury. You know, the Dan Quinn thing, I, I, we, we beat this horse, but uh, you know, I it just wasn't my guy. Uh, that having been said, it's not a bad hire by any means. So uh, it's gonna it's gonna come down to a couple things. First and foremost, the quarterback they drafted to being good or not. If they draft a star and the guy plays his butt off, and Drake May turns into Justin Herbert or Jaden Daniels turns into Lamar Light, then Dan Quinn's gonna be a savant, and everyone's gonna think he's a great coach. And Cliff Kingsbury's gonna get a head coaching job. If those guys struggle, it's not going to work. So that, that's the main thing. The other thing is the Adam Peters operation, right? I mean, Peters yeah. has to hit on draft picks. He's got to hit in free agency. The Rivera-Marty Party trio batted like 157 on their transactions in the draft and free agency. Peters needs to hit a lot closer to you know, 500, 600. And if he can do that, they're going to be in a good spot. Grant Polson from Grant and Danny that you can hear right here on 910 The Fan after me from 3 to 6 p.m. He's on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. So I'm calling this the second chance staff, right? Dan Quinn's second chance. Uh, Kingsbury gets back to the NFL. And now when you look at you know the rest of the coaches that they filled out the coaching staff with, there's a lot of second chance guys. What do you think of the entire coaching staff for next season? I think they did a really good job with the coaching staff specifically in layering it with veterans who have been there before. You know, Anthony Lynn on the offensive side of the ball. Um, even though he's never been a defensive coordinator, I love Joe Witt Jr., what he's done in the secondary with Dallas and Green Bay years ago. Third stop with Dan Quinn. I think he'll do a really good job. But then also some of the youth, guys like Daryl Tapp, who are recent former players, Ryan Kerrigan, you know, who yeah. can ascend – into position coaching roles in some cases or coordinators eventually on offense you know the sneaky great hire that i loved was david blau who played quarterback in the league until this past season uh, to be their assistant quarterbacks coach and to just be in the year of whoever they drafted number two you know, to me that you know jacoby Brissett was invaluable for sam howell well david blau is going to be that guy he's just not on the depth chart you don't have to pay him player money um, so I really thought that was a good hire. Keeping Tavita Pritchard around showed that they did their due diligence and really dug in on the incumbent staff. Who did they like? Who didn't they? Who did a good job? Rather than just blowing everybody out. Uh, there's a lot of experience, there's no doubt, on both sides of this staff. 
But you know, on offense, you've got Kingsbury, who struggled as a head coach. Now you level him down to coordinator. Brian Johnson struggled as an OC and a play caller. Well, you demote him and you say you're my pass game coordinator. Like I think that's smart. People are down because someone struggled in a role that they don't have anymore. It, just because I'm a if I'm a bad radio show host that in the middle of the day doesn't mean I can't do something late at night or on the weekend or help you out in another way at the radio station. So I think that they put together a really really good staff. I'm excited about that. Uh, now they got to hit on the quarterback and, and get to work here ahead of free agency. Grant, let's break down Ryan Kerrigan real quick. I mean, assistant linebackers coach, pass rush specialist, just an all-time good guy, one of the best interviews, uh, a great player for the commanders for a long time, obviously knows the sport. But how have you heard he is as a coach on the defensive side of the ball, and what do you think his future looks like? Like, how high could he rise and how quickly? Well, look, he was very popular with the room last year, no doubt about it. I think what... Kerrigan brings is really important right now, and it's what leagues tre- the league is trending toward, right? And teams are looking for. He is a liaison of sorts between the players and the coaching staff. Uh, he is able to bridge that gap in terms of relatability. Guys really respect recent former players who have kind of been in the foxhole with them. So him saying something probably has a little more value than, say, Jeff Scanina, who was a longtime player and a respected coach, but Ryan just did it. You know, you, you got to turn on the film from two years ago when you played the team you're playing Sunday, and you'll see Kerrigan rushing the quarterback and winning. So I think that's important. He was also a good pass rusher. Not necessarily like I, I wouldn't say he was like a well over skill guy. He was a mid first round pick, so he had talent. But I mean, he I think just as a pass rushing specialist, going over film, teaching guys how to study teaching guys how to set up tackles. I think that's a, a really good role for him. What's the ceiling? Like, we'll see. I mean, from an X's and O's standpoint, I've never really chopped it up and, and talked real specific, like, scheme and philosophy. But a guy like that should be able to be on a track to ultimately become a coordinator when you start as young and as early as he did. It might take some time, right? I mean, look at Joe Witt Jr., 17 years in the league before he got his shot. He right. says he's been ready since 2015. But I would say Kerrigan's on a fast track. Look out for Daryl Tapp. I've heard really good things about him, the D-line coach they're bringing over, who played on this team when I was covering the beat. I mentioned Blau as kind of a fast-rising star. Like Those types of guys that are just super cerebral, they're going to move quick. So the Commanders have the number two overall pick in the upcoming NFL draft. I want Caleb Williams. I want them to find a way to get up to number one. I may not get Caleb Williams, so why don't you give us a breakdown. Get me excited for Drake May or Jaden Daniels at number two. Yeah, first, I'm adamantly against trading up. Not that you asked that, but I want (laughs) nothing to do with that. I would actually hate it uh, more than anything. They've done this offseason probably. Now, having said that, I I wouldn't, like, stop my feet and have a, a fit. I mean, if Adam Peters and this staff deem that that's the move, then you got to roll with it. I just think it would be a, a bad decision, and, and track record says it'll blow up in their face. Having said that, if they stay put at two, and now you're debating between May and Daniels, I think they got a really good chance to get an outstanding quarterback either way. Uh, it's going to, you know, one of those guys is probably going to become a star. The other could bust. So you got to pick the right one. But the profiles with both are pretty appetizing. You know, Jaden Daniels, Heisman Trophy winner in the SEC, electric skill set, dominated some really good teams. People think he just runs. He actually is a really quality passer as well. Um, my, my pluses for him are, you know, you think you've got him hemmed in. I was watching his game against Alabama today, 
and he's just never the play's never dead. Like you're like, oh, this will be a yard or two, and next thing you know, he's ripping off sixteen, seventeen. It's, it's the dream. <laughs> it's what you're looking for in the league. You see it with some of the real great weapons at quarterback. The downside, I think, is he's kind of one read and run. He does not really go through a ton of progressions. Nobody threw more open passes beyond 20 yards in college football statistically than him. He was often throwing to wide open receivers down the field. Both of his top two wide receiver targets are going to go in the first round. Uh, and those guys just won one-on-one a lot on the outside. So that's a concern. He's also very skinny. He's like 6'4", but there's not a lot of meat on the bones. He takes some huge shots. The frame bothers me a little bit. And the last thing I would say is his pressure to sack percentage analytically is brutal. You know, that's the stat we, we look at now with Sam Howell in college. That was a precursor for him holding on to the ball and taking sacks. The good news is Daniels is a little more apt at getting out of the pocket and avoiding some of the pressures. But when he's pressured, the skill of a quarterback is to not allow it to become a sack, and, and that's been a struggle for him. Flip side real quick on Drake May, prototype 6'4", 225, Straight out of central casting. It's what you build in a video game. Huge arm. He's one of five quarterbacks in recent college football history. It'll go in the first round with 40-plus big-time throws in one season. Some of the other guys on that list are Mahomes, Allen, Joe Burrow, right? I mean, that him and, and Jameis Winston. That's the entire list. Uh, he's got a huge arm. He makes awesome throws. He stands in the pocket and makes plays. He's mobile. He can scramble and create with his feet and extend. He, he reminds me a lot of Justin Herbert in college. Um, the downside to him, his numbers weren't very good. His production wasn't great. You know, his teams lost games to teams like Virginia and struggled with bad ACC teams. I'm, I think that was a lot about who was around him, to be honest with you. But he just never really played like a superstar. So you worry about that some. I also think there are some questions with him on some of like the uh, completion percentage accuracy stuff. But uh, I don't worry as much about that. I, I think some of that can be coached. And also, I think when you look at you know, his games, the, the box score does not really always look the same as the performance. Uh, go back to the Virginia game specifically. There were five drops in that game. Everyone says he was so bad in that game. I don't think he had enough help. Grant, we love you taking the time, man. Thanks so much. All right, buddy. Be good. Yep, that's Grant Polson from Grant and Danny. You can hear them right after me on the fan at 3 p.m. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Phone lines are open, 833-804-0910. Reacting to Grant Polson's conversation with us about Drake May and Jaden Daniels. I I will say, Stubb, you know, I'm still on board 100% for Caleb. Like, you know, me and Frank were just joking. How many times do you think Cliff Kingsbury walks down the hall and says to Adam Peters, hey, remember that quarterback I worked with last year? (laughs) You think we should move up to number one and get him? And I'm sure that conversation happens all the time. But I'm going to say right now, Grant did convince me that the gap might be smaller between Caleb and the next two guys like Drake May and Jaden Daniels. He did a really good job of of getting me hyped up for one of those guys. He's a smart guy. He's good at making things seem... (laughs) Seem right. good or well, I mean, he just yeah. starts throwing out a list that includes yeah. like Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Jameis Winston, and Drake May. So that got me fired up. But I did want to bring up a, a, a Twitter fight. All right, okay. I do love radio fights. I love beef. Uh, talking about that stuff on the radio, and so this comes to us today from 
A member of Barstool Sports by the name of Brandon Walker. All right, you can follow him on social media at BFW. He claims to be the number one college football media personality in the country. Well, I'm here to tell you right now that he needs to stick to talking college football. I don't even want to play the clip. It's not even worth playing. He's an idiot. But he he made the argument that Cal Ripken's game record is overrated. Cal Ripken's game record is overrated. All right, Now, stop. I don't even know. Do you know about Cal Ripken's game record? You might have to look this up on the spot here because you, you want to be an Orioles fan this year. you got to know about the history yeah, of the O's I, and their I, most famous player, Cal Ripken. I knew he was baseball. Okay. I knew that. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, you were. That's embarrassing. All right, so why don't you look this up here so you're just aware of the situation. Cal Ripken oh, played in more than 2,000 games in a row. All right? So yeah. – Brandon Walker says it's overrated, and then a football record by Joe Thomas is better than that. Well, Andy Polin, who's been in sports radio since it was invented, and he literally said that in his tweet. He was a host on uh, the Team 980 in D.C. I had overlapped with him at a time when he was on 106.7 The Fan, and I was working with the Junkies. So I I, I appreciate all the work Andy Polin has done. Um, I I. Turn, tuned into his show from time to time. I believe he's on a competitor in D.C. right now, so I don't currently listen. But Andy fired back and said, I've been in sports radio since and it has been invented. There have been some very bright and talented people who have had great careers in it. This is not one of them. <laughs> Just taking a great shot at Brandon Walker, who then responds, Hey, Andy, good to see you. F you. <laughs> That's what he says. And then Andy says, Well, isn't this a clever? Brandon then fires back one more time. Hey, Andy, I apologize. No, I don't. F you. One more time. And look, like I have nothing wrong with Barstool and the Stoolies. Like, I don't hate them. I know a lot of people hate the Stoolies. But that's just such a typical Barstool response. Like, if you don't agree with someone, just throw an F-bomb at them. And it's so stupid to me. Like, he's so wrong. And here's why he's so wrong in his argument. All right? This is a good bit to kill a segment. Oh, yeah, you can say anything. Hot take, smoking hot take. Cal Ripken's record isn't that incredible. But you just sound stupid when you say it. And now I hope that clip gets shared millions of times because he sounds stupid. Cal Ripken's record is incredible. And here's how to put it into perspective so that you know it is incredible, Stub. No average Joe, no 9-to-5 you know, guy that sits at a desk, you know, accountant, engineer, whatever your job is. No normal guy that goes to work, goes to work 2,000 straight days without being sick, right? Nobody does anything like that. Cal Ripken put on a jersey and a uniform and took batting practice and was actually damn good at the sport, right? An all-star, you know, many, many times. The best, one of the best players that's ever played for the Orioles, and never missed a game, right? Like, that—that that is an amazing accomplishment. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> I fully understand you there. I right? That's a like, crazy thing to diminish. Like We're talking uh, about 2,632 consecutive games played. It's a streak that's considered by many to be the most unbreakable record in sports. It's just, it's a testament to his durability, determination, love of the game, uh, love of, you know, the fans. And it's it's a streak that's never going to be broken. And so, Brandon Walker, a dummy, I challenge you to go to work for 2,632 straight days because everybody knows you won't. Oh, dude, and just how many balls you got hit by by a pitcher and made right. it back the next day, any well, sickness, any leg injury, any sprained ankle that you might have got running the bases, just 
Nothing shot well, him away. And it's just like, it's annoying because to me, like, like I get it. You want to become an Orioles fan this year, Stubb. I do. It's it's a great year to be an O's fan. They're going to be good for the next five or ten years. Their farm system's incredible. But the Cal Ripken thing, like, to me, growing up, he was like the Michael Jordan of baseball. My dad would take me to Orioles games there at Camden Yards, and this is a guy, Cal Ripken Jr., that grew up in Maryland, then went on to play for 21 seasons for the only team he's ever loved, the only team he's ever played for, the Baltimore Orioles. He obtained the nickname the Iron Man, obviously, because he never missed a game, and, you know, it's just, it's one of the most unbreakable records in sports. It's one of the coolest uh, accomplishments in all of sports. And it's just like, here we are. You know, the Super Bowl's been over for four days, right? And people are coming out with crazy hot takes because they've just got nothing to talk about, right? When the NFL is gone, a lot of sports radio shows are screwed. That's why you're lucky here with me that I know a little bit about basketball. And I've got you covered for the next few months here. Because without the NFL, there's a lot of radio shows that just completely fall off. And now they're taking shots at Cal Ripken's 2,632 consecutive games played record. It's just unbelievable to me. There's no reason to take a shot at a legend who's gone. I, I right. think you could take as many shots at current players as you want. That's just radio. But uh, what's the point of bringing up someone like that just to dog them? Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's... And and I like I just truly believe it's a terrible take, right? Because yeah. it is it's a great accomplishment. And like I said, no average Joe could even go to work for two thousand straight days without being sick. Cal Ripken played a pro sport for two thousand six hundred plus straight games. It's and you know, the other thing on baseball is, you know, there's basically no days off. You play five or six games a week a lot of times. Right, so it's just uh, it's an incredible record, and um, you know I've always appreciated Cal Ripken Jr., one of my favorites. And uh, baseball is going to be here before you know it. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the New Sports Radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM.